Welcome to the Community Church Podcast. This is the second week of our series on Matthew chapters 10 and 11 called Offensive Love. This week, Pastor Mike will be teaching from Matthew chapter 10, verses 5 through 15. If you'd like to take notes, there's a link for that in the show notes. Thanks for joining us, and without further ado, here's Pastor Mike. This morning, we're going to uh, continue a study we started last week in the book of Matthew. We're starting kind of in the middle in chapter 10. I know that it says here it's Matthew 5. Uh, it's actually, I got that wrong. It's Matthew 10, chapter 10, verses 5 through 15. If you have a Bible, I'd invite you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 10. Uh, it is on page 815 if the Bible's there in front of you. And we always encourage you to open up your Bible, to keep your Bible open throughout our time so you can follow along with us throughout our time of study this morning. Uh, But as always, we will start by reading the passage that we're going to be looking at. So uh, join me as we look at Matthew chapter 10, starting in verse 5. These 12, uh, Jesus sent out, instructing them, go nowhere amongst the Gentiles and enter no town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel and proclaim as you go, saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons. You receive without paying, give without pay. Acquire no gold or silver or copper for your belts, no bag for your journey or two tunics or sandals or a staff, for the laborer deserves his food. In whatever town or village you enter, find out who is worthy in it and stay there until you'll depart. As you enter the house, greet it. And if the house is worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it's not worthy, let your peace return to you. And if anyone will not receive you or listen to your words, shake off the dust from your feet when you leave that house or town. Truly I say to you, will be more bearable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than for that town. May God bless the reading of his word. Let me pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the truth that is here. Father, for the way that even this past week as I've dove into it, that you continue to teach me. I pray now that you would speak through me and in spite of me. Father, help me to get lost and somehow to communicate the timeless truth of your word. I pray that your spirit would speak not only through me, but to each one of us, that we would have hearts that would be open to hear and listen and respond. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Over the past weeks, we've been talking about several passages, but some of the things that keep coming back as we referred several times back to a passage that's known as the Great Commission. It's in Matthew chapter 28. It's Jesus' last words to his followers right before he ascended into heaven. And he's leaving them and he gives them and us this last command, this last mission. And uh, it's in Matthew 28, it says this, and Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and earth has been given me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And we look at that and we understand that it's a part of our call. You know, it's interesting though that, that sometimes you find in our culture there's people that are conflicted about our understanding of this. There was a study done just a few years ago where they interacted with, uh, you know, with followers of Christ and they asked about our views of this great commission. And what they found is that there was good news and bad news. And, and on the good news is they found almost all practicing Christians of all uh, ages, you know, understand that their faith includes being a witness for Jesus. You know, so over 95% of every age said, oh yeah, that's part of what it means to be a follower of Christ. And, and likewise, over 95% of every age said that you know, the best thing that could happen to an unbeliever is that for them to believe in Jesus. But now, here was the conflicting part, almost the 
discouraging part of that same study. Uh, in spite of this, especially millennials, it was more true of millennials, but of, of some of others, but especially millennials say that while we know that God has called us to do this, they at the same point are not sure that it's actually the right thing to do. The survey found that the question was this, uh, is it wrong to share one's personal beliefs with someone of a different faith in hopes that they will one day share the same faith? They asked that question, 47% of millennial followers of Christ said, yes, it's, it's either wrong or it's, it's kind of wrong. And, um, and, and, and you look at that and you say, well, we know that God has called us to it, but yet it's wrong. And, and that's, millennials were the worst, but it's actually something that is actually impacts all ages. So they asked those that are Gen X, 27% said that it's wrong or kind of wrong. Boomers and elders, it's one out of five still. And you look at that and you say, okay, what's going on here? You know, on the one hand, we recognize that it's part of our calling, it's the best thing that could happen, but on the other hand, so many of us are struggling to say, should I even do it? Not only am I comfortable, but it's even the right thing to do. I think a lot of it is, and this is probably, again, where it's more true for those that are younger in the millennial generation, you know, there's a sense that, well, if I share my faith, people may be offended by that. They may be upset, and I don't want to offend anyone. And, and not only that, but we have an increasingly common cultural belief that, again, impacts more of those that are younger generation that says, well, especially when it comes to matters of faith, well, that's my opinion. And, and, uh, and, and even if that's what I believe, you know, if I tell someone else this is what they need to believe, what I'm saying is that I am right and that they are wrong. And if I'm suggesting that they need to believe this and I'm suggesting they're wrong, well, that's being judgmental. And therefore, since judge, being judgmental is always wrong, well, therefore, it's wrong to share my faith. That's what's going on. And, uh, but part of what that means is that as we look at these passages, I think that it's safe to assume that there's many of us here that struggle with this to some degree. On the one hand, I know that God has called me to do this, but on the other hand, I not only struggle, but I even question, is it always right? Am I judging someone by telling them that they need to believe in Jesus? Now, as we struggle with that, I don't want to share my opinion, my thoughts. What I want to do is I want to go back to the words of Jesus, look at what he says, and hopefully his teaching, his example, will help guide us through this. This morning, we're looking at the beginning of Matthew 10 as we've started this whole uh, study. And, and what we're seeing is in the context, we started to see this last week, but, but it's teaching us that Jesus has entrusts us to continue his ministry. The context of Matthew 10 is that Jesus has been doing ministry over these uh, you know, chapters of eight, eight, nine. He's been traveling, teaching, and the disciples have been traveling with Jesus. They've been observing him. They've been hearing his teaching. They've seen him heal numerous people. Yet in the midst of this, Jesus knew something that they did not. He knew that his earthly ministry had a limited time that within a couple of years that he would be crucified on the cross, he would then ascend into heaven, and then he would need to entrust the continuation of that ministry to his followers. He wouldn't be here to do that. So he's training them, and, and in a sense, what he's doing here in Matthew 10, he said, okay, well, let me train you by pushing you out of the nest and calling you to start moving into action, start doing the things that I've called you to do. He called them, as he calls us, to continue his ministry in his place. Now, just in case you missed this, let me show you how explicit it is. You see, if we go back a couple verses before Matthew 10, Matthew 10, at the end of ch chapter nine, 
Look at how Jesus' ministry is described. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. So the gospel of the kingdom, healing. Now look at chapter 10, verse we read just a few minutes ago, and look at what he challenges us to do. And, she, and proclaim as you go, saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand, same passage, gospel of the kingdom, and heal the sick and raise the dead and cleanse the lepers. We're basically called to do the exact same thing, to continue the ministry of Jesus. Here, proclaim this, but not only proclaim it, but the hope and the healing and the, and the um, restoration that you've seen me bring to other people now, I want you to do that. You know, you're, you're now my representatives to the world, especially now that he's gone. Now, I thought about this and you think, how do you think the 12 disciples responded when he first challenged them the first time? I don't know about you, but I think that they're sitting there and they're saying, you want us to go out? No, you don't understand Jesus. You're the rabbi, we're the disciples. Our job is to sit here and take notes while you speak. You know, that's, that's what we're called to do. You know, we're not called to go out there. You're the rabbi, we're, you know, we're not trained professionals. They're sitting there saying, you know, we're tax, you know, we're fishermen and tax collectors and, and uneducated men. We, you know, we're sitting there listening to Jesus. They never thought that they would actually be called to do anything like this. And clearly they were intimidated. And part of what that means is that if you ever feel like God's called you to do this and you feel like, man, I can't do that. And man, I'm t- intimidated, even terrified by the prospect of telling others about Jesus. Well, join the club. I mean, that's, that's kind of the standard. That's where the disciples, these people that we knew that you know, we now call saints and they were the ones that built the church, that's not where they started. They started as people that were totally unqualified. And yet Jesus called and said, I call you to go. And in calling them to go, what does he say? Even before he calls them to go, he says, okay, before I'm gonna give you that calling, Look at verse one of chapter 10. He called, uh, he called to him his 12 disciples and gave them authority. He said, okay, I'm about to give you the challenge. I'm about to give you this call to do ministry, to do my ministry, but with that call, I'm gonna give you what you need. You have the authority. You have the power to do that. And in the same way, when we see Matthew 28, we read a moment ago, Jesus comes and he calls to us and he said, okay, now I'm going to leave and I'm entrusting you to do the ministry. And how does he preface it? All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. And it's implied, now I'm giving it to you. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Go do my ministry. Yes, you're, you're unqualified. Yes, you're beyond, you know, beyond that. But Jesus in giving us his tasks gives us his power, his authority to do the ministry that he's called us to do. So we're called to serve him, continue the work of, ministry, of Jesus. But yet even as we're called to do this, understanding that there's a calling, there's an empowerment, but we're also to do it with his heart. With, 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 you know, with the same heart, the same motivation. And this is something that, again, Matthew really makes clear. And immediately, in the verses immediately before the one, one we read this morning, you know, that he's talking, he said, here's the calling. Right before this, you have this explicit statement about what drove Jesus, his heart. Look what it says. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. Now again, we've seen that's exactly what we're called to do and what drove Jesus. And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. So you see that he was driven by this compassion for the lost. He had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. 
And one of the things that I think is really important for us to realize that is so easy to forget is that when Jesus looked out and he saw this crowd that he has compassion for, that he knew that many of those people were people that would ultimately reject him. He knew that many of those people were probably gonna be people that were gonna be on the streets of Jerusalem calling for his death. And what we're gonna find, especially next week, is that he calls his followers, he calls us to now proclaim his message. He's going to say, okay, well, some of these people are gonna oppose you, they're gonna hate you, they're gonna even try to kill you, they're gonna, you know, they're gonna, they're, they're gonna you know, be totally opposed. And yet he calls us to say, now go, why? Have that same compassion for those people. Why? Because he didn't see them as evil, he saw them as helpless and lost. He didn't see them as wolves, he saw them as sheep without a shepherd who needed the shepherd. Now, now some might be familiar with this passage and saying, well, well, wait a second, Pastor Mike, I know that the very next verse, the one after we read today, talks about how Jesus sends his people out as sheep into the wolves. Look at verse 16, behold, I'm sending you out as sheep into the midst of wolves, so be wise as serpent, innocent as doves. Doesn't that say that the people that oppose us are the wolves? Well, no. Here we gotta remember that the first rule, the, interpret, interpreting the Bible, scripture interprets scripture. And so whatever this is saying fits what Jesus said right before it. This is all part of the same thought in his mind. And so what he's saying here is that, okay, there are people that we're gonna send out, we're in the middle of the wolves, but what we need to realize is that the context is he said right beforehand, no, these are sheep without shepherd. We need to remember who the enemy is and in and, 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 and retrospect too, who the enemy is not. In fact, several you know, uh, weeks ago, we were talking about Ephesians. And look what it says in Ephesians. It reminds us of where our struggle is. Ephesians 6, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against spiritual forces in the heavenly places. Do we wrestle against flesh and blood? Yes. But his whole idea is saying that, and we're struggling against people and people doing things, but there's a spiritual force that's driving it. And so we need to understand who our enemy is and by consequence, who our enemy is not. Usually we look at this and we've gotta say there's, there's spiritual forces that are at work here. And, and the people that are working against us aren't the enemy, they're captives of the enemies. They're captives, they may be doing the work of the enemy. We look at people and they may, the people that may be opposing the work of Christ, maybe even opposing us as those who are representatives of Christ, maybe even to the point of seeking to do us harm. We have to realize they're not the enemy. They've been taken captive by the enemy. They may be doing the work of the enemy. They may be acting as wolves, but it's not because they're wolves, they're sheep without a shepherd who have been taken captive and are now, are now doing that work and, and we're called to have compassion. Jesus had compassion on that group and so should we. My friends, what we need to realize is that our enemy are not those who have a different sexual ethic than we do, or maybe pushing a different agenda. It's not the abortion doctors. It's not, you know, the people who have a political, you know, different political agenda. It's not, you know, the, the drug addict. It's not, you know, somebody, you might even be looking in your own life and you're saying, oh, my, my ex-husband or my ex-wife. The enemy's not them. We have people in our world who may be doing the work of the enemy, but they're held captive by the enemy. They're not the enemy. And what that means is that while they're in that captivity, they may be doing his work, but don't confuse it. Don't look at them. No, God calls us to have compassion. We're, we're not to fight against them. 
We're to fight for them for their freedom. Look what Paul says about this in 1 Corinthians 6. And do you not know that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexual immoral, nor idolaters, nor idolaters, nor male prostitutes, nor homosexual offenders, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Now we might say, some of it might be, well, those are the enemy, those are the people out there. And now Paul's saying, no, that's what some of you were. That's what some of us were. And we've got to sit there and say, what was that? You know what I love? You know what I'm thankful for? Is that when I was in that camp that God didn't see me as the enemy. That I wasn't the enemy. That I was a captive that Jesus died for to set me free. And there were followers of Christ that pursued me with that purpose. And we need to realize that No, that's who we were. That's what some of us were. But what happened? We were washed. We were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ by the spirit of our God. We were captives and we have been set free because that's the power of the gospel. And my friends, we have to remember that as we see people who reject Jesus' message, the people who are held captive from Jesus died to set free. They're not people whom we're to hate. They're not people who we're to struggle against. There are people that were to battle for to help them see the gospel that will set them free. And even if they resent our, you know, our efforts to reach them, even if they oppose our speaking of the truth, even if all that is true, they're not the enemy. They are not the ones we wrestle against. We wrestle for their freedom. We do it with the heart of Jesus. Look at what Peter said, or Paul says about this in 2 Timothy. It says, the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. What does he say? We're called to be patient. We're not to argue, not, not to be quarrelsome, not to be in fights, not to be pulled into the shouting matches and name callings that, that many in our culture would love us to get pulled into. But we're to be kind to everyone. But we're still able to teach, still speaking the truth patiently enduring evil, patiently enduring it when people you know, reject and even do evil back to us or speak evil of us. Why? Because we're doing this and we're, we're patiently enduring it, correcting opponents with gentleness. At the same time that we're patient, we're realizing that we're still, when the Bible says something is sin, we're gonna call it sin. We're gonna speak truth. We're gonna uh, correct with gentleness. And why is it that we do this with the heart of Jesus? Because God may perhaps grant them repentance leading to a knowledge of the truth that they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. That's the problem, they're captive. And if we do this and represent Christ, we're called to do the ministry of Jesus. What happens is that God may grant them into repentance. God may bring them out of that, that captivity and set them free. God has called us to do that but he's called us to proclaim that truth with a spirit of grace and truth. That's Jesus' compassion. You see a lot of times even in our cultures, well, if you love Jesus, you're gonna accept me, you're gonna approve me. No, the, the love of Jesus isn't, he accepts and approves everyone's lifestyle or choices. No, but again, what do we see here? Jesus saw the people as sheep without a shepherd, meaning he saw them as people that were broken, people who needed direction, who needed leadership. They needed his truth. And yet Jesus speaks that truth and that gentleness and that love and compassion it's, what I love is that, again, it talks about this in, first, in John 1, full of grace and truth. John 1, 14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. He was full of grace, 
full of truth, uncompromising in his truth, uncompromising in his grace at the same time. And as a church, and as a pastor, I believe that God has called us to be uncompromising in our standing on the truth, uncompromising in the proclaiming of his word. And that may mean when it speaks about issues, certain issues, and it calls it sin, that we can't compromise and say, well, we're gonna bend to the culture. No, we're called to do what God says we need to say. But at the same time, we need to do it in a way that is compassionate and loving and patient and gracious towards people who are gonna oppose and are struggle because we understand that they're people that are, are taken captive by the enemy. They're not the enemy, they're captives for whom Christ has compassion and so should we. And we should have hope because the power of the gospel is it does set the captives free. So we're called to do this ministry, the heart of Jesus, but there's also an element of it that we see as example, there's a holistic element to his ministry. Again, Matthew's ministry or teaching is clear that when you look at Jesus, it wasn't just that he taught, but that he actually in his ministry was involved in meeting the practical needs of people. We've read a few moments ago in verse 35 that he went through all the cities and villages teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and affliction. And then you go to verses seven and eight, we read a few minutes ago that he calls us to proclaim as you go, saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand, but then also heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons. See, he doesn't just call us to go and to preach, to proclaim, to, to say. Yes, the message is that our heart of the gospel is the message of forgiveness through Jesus Christ so we can have a relationship with God. The kingdom of God we proclaim, that's the heart, we can never back away from that. But we're also called to do that in a certain way, where we're ministering to the physical and emotional and relational needs of people, even as we try to speak out to their spiritual needs. Even last week we talked about uh, this idea of what Jesus ministered, miracles. Why did he do miracles? It wasn't just to show power. It was to show something of the redemptive nature of his power. And what's the idea? Is that sin has come into the world and it breaks our relationship with God. And the Bible teaches that it impacts all other areas of life. You know, some people will say, well, here's the spiritual side of life and here's this. Well, there is no division there. The spiritual side of life impacts everything. And so we realize that there's brokenness in the world. The reason that we have, the whole reason of all the brokenness is ultimately a side effect of sin. It's a consequence of sin. And here's the gospel. Here's the kingdom of God. Jesus came to preach the message of healing and forgiveness through faith in Jesus Christ. Jesus died on the cross for our sins so that we who were sinners, who couldn't deal with our sin, who couldn't get away with it by our own righteousness, if we recognize that he died on the cross, at the cross he took my sin, he took your sin, so that all those who trust in him and say, God, I ask you to forgive me through my faith in what you have done for me, he takes our sin, he gives us his righteousness, he restores the relationship with God that we were created for. That's beautiful. But here's what you realize is that sin has broken everything else. And the gospel is that when we restore our relationship with God, it begins the process of bringing healing to all other areas of life. And as we preach the gospel, one of the things that we do is that we, we, we in the gospel, we live out that message of healing. And it's not always even supernatural healing, it's this idea of, of okay, how do we bring hope and healing to the needs of the culture? Historically, you know, churches were the ones that, the vast majority of hospitals that have been set up historically were set up by churches. Because churches looked at the physical needs of the culture and the community and said, hey, as part of the gospel, we're going to help bring healing physically to people. 
So even you see hospitals like St. Thomas and Mercy in our area that still have Christian names because they were established by churches. Churches established orphanages to care for children. Churches established schools. It's amazing, you could go back all huge number of the big universities in our country that are now very secular and often hostile to the gospel. They were established by churches with the explicit Christian vision of teaching the Bible because churches understood that part of ministering to people is educating them and making them more effective. And so God has likewise now called us as a church. How do we do this? Well, we, we have benevolence ministry. We try to meet physical needs of people. I, I love how so many people in our church stepped out through Christmas and, and some of the efforts that we did of, of angel tree and you know, the shoe boxes, all these different things that we're saying, how do we, we meet the practical needs of the people in our community? We partner through ministries like Haven of Rest trying to minister to the homeless. We partner with uh, Pregnancy Solutions, ministering to, to women in unplanned pregnancies, ministries like South Street Ministries. And some of that is we not only do it financially, I mean, I'm personally involved in these ministries and volunteering because we believe in doing this. See, as a church, we realize as far as a Christ, we need to call, follow his example. And Jesus' example was that he proclaimed the gospel in word and in deed. That it's not only the, you know, get right with God, but if we get right with God, you see it brings healing to all areas. And sometimes it's ministering to those physical and emotional and relational needs that help people understand the spiritual needs. Even as a church, we've looked at this and, and felt like it's such a part of what's taught to us, a non, non-negotiable part that's taught in the New Testament, um, that we've actually taken this idea and we've made it one of our core values. Our eighth core value is on this issue particularly. It says this, we are committed to sharing the good news of the gospel by proclaiming its truth through our words and displaying its truth through our actions, especially through our actions of benevolence toward those in need and bringing restoration to all areas of people's lives. We believe that. We're trying to be faithful to this ministry of Jesus. The heart of, of Jesus, the example of Jesus holistically But even then we said, well, how do we do this? Well, there's some practical strategy things that Jesus now gives us. Um, Look at verses 12 through uh, 15 of chapter 10 again. It says, as you enter the house, greet it. If the house is worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it's not worthy, let your peace return to you. And if anyone will not receive you or listen to your words, shake off the dust from your feet when you leave that house or town. Truly I say to you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than for that town. Now the first thing he says is basically, as you go out, offer God's grace to everyone. That's the whole idea behind verses 12 and 13. As you enter the house, greet it. If he said, worthy, let your peace come upon you. If not, let peace, basically I'm gonna preach to everyone. It's, it's offering, don't assume that people will reject it. You know, I know at times that there, in fact, there in my life, there have been times that I've talked to people and well, well we need to pray for them and oh, they, they will never believe. They're so closed, they're just so, and many of those people have come to know faith. Many of those, you know, I've gotten to baptize. Many of those, many, and they may be you. And we've got to realize is that we can't look at anybody and say, well, they're beyond, well, they might be on doing the right work in their own life, but they're not beyond the miraculous hand of God. And so what we do is we're called to plant the seed everywhere. And the ground might look hard, but we're called to say, plant the seed. I'm going to preach, I'm going to share the gospel. And I'm gonna go out there and I'm gonna pray that God's gonna take that and he's gonna, in some cases, do the miracle of creating a life. But while we do that, we realize that not everyone we share will be receptive. There are gonna be some that are going to not only be receptive, they might even be hostile. 
And the second thing he tells us is don't get discouraged by those who don't respond. That's when in verse 13, he says, if the house is worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it's not worthy, let your peace return to you. Basically, if they reject the message, we'll move on. You know, we, last week we talked about how the harvest is plentiful and, and he uses this agricultural picture. And, uh, you know, I just was even thinking about how last week I planted some basil and, I, and, and it's last Saturday and I'm thinking, you know, Super Bowl Sunday, I'd love some homemade pizza and I'm gonna make some pesto sauce and some, I'm like, I need my fresh basil. And I go here and I've been, I planted this a week ago and watered it and I still don't have anything growing. And I'm, I'm like downright frustrated. I mean, why does anybody ever plant anything? I mean, this is like, you know, why waste my time and my effort? And it's just, I mean, it's frustrating because it just doesn't work. And again, the whole illustration is just, way well, calm down, Mike, you know, these take time. I mean, you've packaged, it says, you don't get a sprout for like 10 to 14 days. It's only been eight. Don't be surprised. You know, I don't see anything. The fact of the matter is there may be a miracle. There's probably a miracle working there that this little seed that was just nothing you could barely see is suddenly sprouting and, and I don't even see it, but the sprout's gonna come out in a couple months, I'm gonna get that basil and I'm gonna, I'm gonna get it. We understand that. And here's what we need to realize is that there are times that we out and share, share and you know, somebody might be, you know, again, really close. Don't get discouraged. They might be just planting the seed. We might be watering the seed. It might not, it might see nothing there. God may do, be doing a miracle underneath their heart. Don't get discouraged by those who do, don't respond. God may be working. But in that, preach to everybody. Don't get discouraged. But focus your primary effort on those who are more open. Don't get distracted by those who oppose you. And that's what he's saying is when he says, you know, if your house is worthy, let your peace come upon it. If not, let your peace return to you. If any will not receive or listen to your words, shake off the dust from your feet and leave that house in town. Basically he's saying, there are, the harvest is plentiful. There are people that are open. I mean, have you ever gotten to talk to somebody about your faith and they just want to argue with you? They just want to, oh, yeah, they just, they just want to go to battle. And that's what he's saying is that if they, you have that person that wants to plant, talk, pray for them, you know, share a little gospel and then walk away. Why? Because what we're talking, the agricultural thing, how do you make the seed grow? Ever tried to yell at a seed to get it to grow? Doesn't work very well, does it? You ever stop or whatever, you just, it doesn't work. You plant, you water, and you let God do the miracle. And what we need to realize is that there may be times, that's all we do, and if we're trying, if I'm trying to play with this, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna probably kill what's there if I, if I you know, argue with it. And what I need to do is that I need to just open it, you know, plant the seed, walk away, let God do the miracle, and realize that there are other people that are more spiritually open. So I'm gonna go and talk to a lot of people and the people that are more interested, that more open, well, I'm gonna, he's saying, spend some more time there. You know, go to the low, go to the ones, try to find the, the low, you know, low hanging fruit. Invest more of your time there. But still, we're gonna at times run into people where because they're closed, maybe they're even hostile, it's easy to get discouraged. And in the middle of that, let me give you a couple things that are, again are here that I think we need to remember, perspectives of Jesus in the midst of this calling that he's given us. Again, we're doing the ministry of Jesus, carrying the message of Jesus, the hope of Jesus to a culture that needs him, to people that are like sheep without a shepherd, many of which don't know they need him, might even be you know, offended by that idea Many, you know, many who rejected Jesus at that time because they didn't know they needed him. And yet he still had compassion on them. So what happens when they reject us, when they reject the message? 
Number one, don't get discouraged. Remember that they aren't rejecting you. We're Jesus' messengers, we're his ambassadors. If you go down to verse 22, it says, you will be hated for, by all by my, for my name's sake. You know, if I'm hated, I'm not hated because of me, I'm hated because of who I represent. And we need to realize, okay, how do we find people that are open? Well, it goes talking to a lot of people, planting a lot of seeds, and, and that might mean that we're gonna find people that are closed and people that are really closed, and, and, but we can't be discouraged by that. We've gotta realize that they're not rejecting us. I love how, it, how Jesus says this in Matthew chapter 10. He says this, the one who hears you hears me, and the one who rejects you rejects me, and the one who rejects me rejects him who sent me. He's basically saying, Understand that they're not rejecting you, they're rejecting me. Don't take it personal. Let me even go back. Any of you remember some, you know, I might have some other teens. You remember junior high, junior high love, junior high? Remember what it's like to be in love in junior high? And you got this crush on this person, but you lack the courage to go out and actually tell them. And so what did we do in junior high? We find a friend. And, and we said, oh, here's a note. Can you go give this to John? Oh, can you go, you know, go, tell, you know, go tell Betty that I like her and, and, and if she likes me? And, and so, do you remember that? I mean, we're often, we're, we're asking, here's, you know, here's what we do. I, I send a messenger. You know, we, we sit with John at lunch. You know, Beth wants to know if she, you know, you, she likes you and do you like her? Okay, now, if you remember that, you're tasked with carrying the message. What happens, you know, if you go up to Beth and you say, you know, Beth, John really likes you and he wants to know if you like him. And she comes back and says, I don't like John. No, I don't, I don't want to spend any time with him. Are you crushed? Are you sitting there saying, I can't believe it. My, you know, I'm just suicidal. My, my life is, she doesn't like John. You know, she was mean to me. I mean, it, no, you know, you look at it and you say, John, guess what? You're out of luck. You know, just, you know, she doesn't like you. John might be crushed, but I'm not crushed because it's not me. It's not, she's not rejecting me. She's rejecting John. And here's what we need to realize. That's what we are. Jesus is saying, I want you to be my man. I love these people. I want you to carry that message of love. I want you to give that message of hope. And so we're coming and we're saying, well, here is Jesus' message. And some of those people are gonna respond back and they're gonna be like, man, how dare you? And they're gonna, they're gonna be offended. They're gonna be, may reject us, but they're not rejecting us. They're rejecting him. My friends, if we think that they're rejecting us, we're gonna be bothered, we're gonna be upset. If I remember, no, they're rejecting Jesus. Well, my heart's broken because they're rejecting the one that they need. And they're not rejecting me, I'm just the messenger. They're just taking it out of me because I'm carrying out the, the message of Jesus. But even as people do, we also need to remember that what we're talking about is an issue of absolute and ultimate truth. When I say absolute truth, it means it's true for all times, all people, and not only that, but it's, it's ultimate, meaning that the consequences of rejecting this truth are ultimate. That's what Jesus is teaching and probably the hardest verses in this passage, verse 14 and 15. If anyone uh, will not receive you or listen to your words, shake off the dust from your feet and leave that house or town. Truly I say to you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah for that town. Now here's what he's saying, this is ultimate truth. And if people reject this, there are eternal spiritual consequences. For those who reject Jesus, there's a reality of hell. That if we reject Jesus, we die and we are separated from God forever and the Bible talks about hell. Now I realize that you're like, oh wait a second, I know it's that kind of church. I mean there's not probably anything that I could say that is more countercultural, more offensive to our culture than talking about that. 
But here's what I want to remind you is that this is not my opinion. It's not the opinion of the church. I'm just reading God's word. This is what God says. He's the one that says this. These are the words of Jesus. And so if these are the words of Jesus, because I believe that Jesus speaks ultimate truth, this is ultimate truth for all times, absolute truth, all times, all culture. And, and just because our culture doesn't like it, doesn't accept it, rejects the idea, that doesn't make it any less true. It's not less true than it was before. And likewise, if somebody doesn't believe in hell and if they die, that doesn't mean they don't go to hell because they don't believe in hell. Not believing in hell doesn't make hell not real for us. The only way to get out of hell is to believe in Jesus and to trust in him. That's what God is saying here. This is an issue of ultimate spiritual truth. Now, that being said, we're not to preach this message out of spite or anger. So when it says, shake off the dust, it's not like, well, you reject me, well, you're going to hell. You know, it's just like, and we know people like that. That's not what it's saying. All right, you know, well, you know, I hope, I hope you like it, you know, like it where it's hot, because that's where you're going. No, that's not, that's not the spirit. Remember, this is all set up by Jesus saying, before he said any of these things, he had compassion for them. See, we need to understand his heart, his motive is not driven by anger, it's compassion. And he's speaking to us, I believe, as those who can get get scared out of this and say, well, it's because it's hard. I don't want to offend anybody. And he's saying, no, it's worth doing this because it's an ultimate issue. He's called us to do it because no matter how people feel, this is absolute truth. It's ultimate truth. And sometimes our culture will say, well, it's not the loving thing to do to cause offenses. And, you know, no, if it's true, then we have to be willing to offend because we're stating what is true. It's all, you know, it's an issue of eternity. We do it with love, we do it with grace, not judgment, but warning and inviting people to Jesus. Now, I'm going to rely on a very unusual source to make this point. I'm gonna have an atheist make it for me. Some of you might be familiar with uh, Penn and Teller. It's a kind of comedy duel that does magic. And uh, Penn Jillette is part of that. He's a very outspoken atheist. And several years ago, he talked about somebody who came to his show, a follower of Christ, who tried to witness to him. Now, this is a very outspoken atheist, very explicit in that. And yet, you're going to hear a couple things in what he says. Number one, he was struck by the fact that this person had the heart of Christ, the compassion of Christ. And even though he's close to the message, suddenly it was like, well, maybe I need to be a little open because, man, this guy, he was nice. Number two, he follows through this whole issue of, if this is true, then you better share it with me or you, you must really hate me. Listen to what he says. Oh, we're gonna try to get up. Had it work the first service. Yeah, while they do that, it's, I mean, again, it's just, if this is true. I want to talk to you about this. Uh, I've been hoping the show, and at the end of the show, as I've mentioned before, we go out and we, uh, we talk to folks and, you know, sign an occasional autograph and shake hands and so on. And there was one guy waiting over to the side in the, uh, what I call the hover position after I was all done, big guy, probably about my age. 
And he walked over to me and he said, um, I was here last night at the show and uh, uh, I saw the show and I liked it. I wanted, and he was very complimentary about my use of language. And, um, and then he said, I brought this for you. And he handed me a uh, Gideon pocket edition. Um, I thought I said from the New Testament, but I also thought it was Psalms from the New Testament, right? Or, uh, Psalms from the just part of the New Testament. Little book about this big, this thick, you know. He said, I wrote in the front of it, and I wanted you to have this. I'm kind of. Uh, proselytizing. I mean, he said, I'm a businessman. I'm, I'm sane. I'm not crazy. And he looked me right in the eye and did all of this. And uh, it was really wonderful. I believe he knew that I was an atheist. And I've always said, you know, that I, I don't respect people who don't proselytize. I don't respect that at all. If you believe that there's a heaven and hell and people could be going to hell or not getting eternal life or whatever, and you think that, uh, well, it's not really worth telling them this because it would make it socially awkward. And atheists who think that people shouldn't proselytize, just leave me alone, keep your religion to yourself. Uh, how much do you have to hate somebody to not proselytize? How much do you have to hate somebody to believe that everlasting life is possible and not tell them that? I mean, if I believed beyond a shadow of a doubt that a truck was coming at you and you didn't believe it, and that truck was bearing down on you, there's a certain point where I tackle you. And this is more important than that. And I've always thought that, and I've written about that, and I've thought of it conceptually. This guy was a really good guy. He was polite and honest and sane, and he cared enough about me to proselytize and give me a, a Bible, which had written in it a little note to me, uh, not very personal, but just, you know, like your show and so on. And then like five phone numbers for him and an email address if I wanted to get in touch. Now, I know there's no God, and one polite person living his life right doesn't change that. Uh, but I'll tell you, he was a very, very, very good man. And uh, that's really important. And with that kind of goodness, uh, it's okay to have that deep of a disagreement. I still think that religion does a lot of bad stuff, but man, that was a good man who gave me that book. That's all I wanted to say. And that's striking to me. Here you got a guy, an atheist, and he's sitting there saying, he understands, if this is an issue of real, if there's real heaven or hell, how much do you have to hate me to not tell me? I mean, and he says, you know, if I see a truck coming towards you, I'm going to tackle you. And as much as we might say, well, we might cause offense, that's what Jesus' point is here, is this is, is, this is real. This is stuff of eternal significance. Now, we've got to do it right. We've got to do it patiently. We've got to do it with the spirit of Christ. That's why I love where he came out to. And here's a guy who's really closed and is usually very hostile towards in the way he speaks towards believers. But he said, man, this guy had the heart of Christ. And boy, they got me thinking. And my friends, that's what God has called us to do, is to 
to be Christ, to have the heart of Christ and to have the perspective of Christ to realizing that we're out there, we're you know, diving in front of trucks to save people from spiritual eternity. And this matters, it's worth taking the risk. And in the midst of that, even in the midst of it, if you look at it and say there are times that we just don't know, we just, but people are closed and remember what Jesus said to set this all up, the harvest is plentiful. Yes, we're looking at this passage and next week even more, it's gonna be like, yeah, you're gonna be opposed. Yes, you're gonna have people that are gonna hate you. Yes, there's gonna be people that are closed. And, but to remember what he said to set this all up, scripture interprets scripture, interpret this part by what was said before. The context, he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And therefore, he said, then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. The harvest is plentiful. And what he's saying now is in that harvest, there are gonna be times that we run into weeds and there are gonna be times that the weather is terrible and you don't wanna go out there because it's miserable. And there are gonna be times that, you know, that you're planting and nothing seems to be growing. But realize that's part of the process. And, and if we focus on the opposition, we're gonna get discouraged and we're gonna say, well, this is never gonna work. Boy, this isn't growing. Why, do I, why does anybody ever plant anything? But we need to remember that, no, this is the promise. And the promise is realistic in that it will be hard. It will not always be easy. Not everybody will receive it. Not everybody will reward you and celebrate right away. But there's power in the gospel. We're planting seeds in which there's a life and realize that, yes, endure the difficulty, but endure it with joy because we know that the harvest is plentiful and God is gonna do miracles and I wanna be a part of that miracle. I wanna be part of seeing what he's doing and it's worth enduring, or enduring to be a part of this ministry, this continuing ministry of being Jesus to a world who desperately needs him. And that is it for this week's message. If you have a question about the message, Community Church, or Jesus Christ, send us a text to 330-400-3242. You can learn more about our events and community groups online at ccpl.life connect. There, you can also send in a prayer request. We would love to pray for you. Have a blessed Lord's Day, and we'll see you next week.